Good morning, and thank you for starting your day with a six-pack, the Scani Six-Pack, the only podcast that's bringing you the top stories in Wisconsin sports every single day. Plus, we do it in less time than it takes to complete your morning commute. I'm your host, Kedrick Stumbrus, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kedrick Stumbrus and follow the podcast at Scani Six-Pack to get the latest updates in Wisconsin sports. We have a big weekend to recap here. Uh, after the Bucks' latest stinker against the Celtics on Thursday night, the Bucks bounced back. We got the Brewers bouncing back after their opening day dud, and a bunch of Wisconsin football, basketball news. So let's talk about it. Uh, the Bucks got a win last night, uh, as I mentioned, bouncing back after losing by 41 to the Celtics on Thursday. The Bucks defeated the 76ers 117-104. to Milwaukee led the entire game and really controlled it the whole time. Uh, led 41-26. Uh, at the end of the first quarter, and the 76ers cut the lead to four in the third quarter, but then the Bucks went on a run, and it really wasn't close. Uh, Milwaukee shot lights out in this game. They made over 67% of their shot attempts from the field in the first half, made 12 of 13 to start the game, and by the time the game was done, Milwaukee shot over 57% from the field. Uh, Bobby Portis was the only scorer for the Bucks off the bench. He had 18 points, shot 8 of 11 from the field, and made two of his three three-point attempts. He also added a steal and a block on the defensive end. You know, Bobby really coming into form here at the end of the season. Uh, if it weren't for that injury that took him out for a little while there uh, at the beginning of, uh, what was that, January? Yeah, I think really is the front runner for a sixth man of the year at this point, especially with Russell Westbrook getting traded off of uh, the Lakers, moving to the Clippers. I, I think Bobby Portis is having a phenomenal year, uh, and he's just a really great part of this team. Uh, otherwise, from the bench, Javon Carter had a solid night as well. In 21 minutes, he only had one shot attempt from the field, uh, but had six assists. Uh, Chris Middleton, in his starting role, had 19 points and 9 assists. He also shot 3 of 8 from 3. I think he's hopefully really finding stride here right now as the season is coming to its uh, conclusion of the regular season uh, because Chris it took, it took a little while to get into form, especially finding that 3-point shot uh, after coming back with the injuries, and so I think that's good to see. But of course, the story of the night, as always, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. He had 33 points, 14 rebounds, and six assists, and look, uh, he outdueled Joel Embiid in the waning stretches of the season, and I personally think it would be absurd for Joel Embiid to win this Most Valuable Player award over uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I understand that voter fatigue in the NBA is real, but there's just no reason that, I mean, in my opinion, that anybody should be getting uh, just this load of MVP talk, except for Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, I get the voters don't want to give it to Giannis or Jokic. They want to find a fun new story to tell, but Giannis is going to bring this team to being uh, the best, having the best record in the league while he had s so much of this team injured for so long, you know, uh, going without Joe Ingles for huge stretches to start the season, uh, without... Uh, Pat Connaughton to start the season, without Chris Middleton to start the season, with uh, Drew Holiday hurt for stretches of the season. It's just in incredible what the Bucks have been able to do despite being shorthanded through most of the season uh, before getting to, you know, these last few weeks, uh, last month, two. Um, 
And that's all because of Giannis. If we cannot say that, we can all say that we all agree that Giannis is the best basketball player in the world, but we can't say he's the most valuable player in the NBA. I consider that absurd. Um, but moving forward, the Bucks still have a two-game lead on the Boston Celtics. The Celtics had three off days following uh, their win over Utah on Friday. Uh, so they do not play until they play at Philly, uh, the 76ers again on Tuesday. Uh, both the Celtics and Boston have four games remaining, so the Bucks' magic number is three. Uh, so any combination of Bucks wins slash Celtics losses, the first to three of those will give the Bucks uh, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and in the NBA playoffs. Of course, the Celtics have a tiebreaker. Uh, so the Bucks need three combinations of Bucks wins or Celtics losses down here in these last eight games between the two teams. Uh, over the weekend, we also had the Brewers getting two wins. Despite folks thinking Brewers season was over, headed into uh, the eighth inning of the second game of the season on Saturday, I was already seeing people saying, yep, same old, same old, Brewers can't score, Brewers can't do anything, it's the same season, wrap it up, don't even bother watching after getting shut out in the first 16 innings of the season, which, whatever 162 times 9 is, um, it's a lot more than 16, but Brewers uh, got their first series win of the season, and their first win of the season uh, with a 3-1 victory uh, on Saturday, beginning with that. Uh, Ian Happ for the Cubs had a solo shot homer in the sixth inning, and the Brewers went scoreless in the first seven innings, but in the eighth, the Brewers tallied on three runs, and that was the margin right there. 3-1 win on Saturday. And then the decisive game, series deciding game yesterday, uh, was a 9-5 win for the Brewers. There was some back-and-forth scoring to start the game. The Brewers took 3-2 lead, into the sixth inning, and then we had fireworks. Uh, five runs by the Brewers in the sixth inning, powered by zero home runs. Uh, Brewers went through the entire order. Victor Caratini got out to lead off the sixth uh, and also ended the inning with an out. Terang and Yelich reached, the, reached uh, first base on walks. We had four singles by Weimer, Winker, Adonis, uh, Tellez and Mitchell, uh, so just a really solid dink and dunk around the bases. Uh, it's really solid by base running by Joey Weaver and Bryce Terang as well. That's a wild pitch that advanced to those two uh, from first and second to second and third. Uh, so it, it was just you know really solid inning, chopping them up uh, the whole way. And so it, it was good to see uh, for for the series overall. You know, the Brewers are, are looking good, efficient, uh, walked 15 times, uh, which is great to see, you know, some plate discipline uh, over, overall. Uh, Rowdy Telez started 0 for 7 between the two games on Friday and Saturday at the plate, uh, including going 0 for 4 before strikeouts on Saturday. But he got his first hit in that sixth inning uh, on Sunday. As I mentioned, he had an infield single. And Jesse Winker looks good. Uh, free agent acquisition in the offseason. He went three for eight in the series. Uh, on Saturday, he had an RBI single uh, on a pinch hit opportunity in that uh, three row in the eighth inning. Came in, pinch hit, got an RBI on base, 
and then he had three RBIs again on Sunday. Uh, and the other uh, guys making their debuts for the Brewers, Bryce Terrain looks good. Uh, he was, of course, the infield replacement for Colton Wong, traded in the offseason to the Mariners, and then Bryce Terrain gets called up from the Miners, and he's he's making that debut and making a splash early on, making it hard to keep him out of the regular rotation. Uh, this guy being brought up in, in the Milwaukee farm system, really solid developments all the way uh, from from the bottom. Uh, you know, we got to see him in, in Appleton in uh, with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And in the series, Bryce Terrain went three for seven with two walks. He stole a base when pinch running for Jesse Winker, who pinch hit in that game on Saturday. So Jesse Winker came into that game on Saturday, got an RBI single on a pinch hit, and then exited the game while Bryce Terang came in to pinch run and stole second base. So just excellent, excellent speed and good base running between that and the wild pitch uh, that I mentioned in that uh, fireworks five-run sixth inning in the game on Sunday. Uh, and he also on Sunday had an RBI double with two outs uh, on Sunday in the second. So really, really great stuff from Bryce Terang overall. Uh, so now the Brewers, Cardinals, and Reds are tied at the top of the NL Central Division with a two to one record each. And now the Brewers are going to be playing the New York Mets, who are three and one uh, after a four game series with the Florida Marlins. Uh, the Brewers host the Mets in the home opener today. Uh, Brewers' starting pitcher is going to be Freddie Peralta. Mets, Carlos Carrasco on the mound. Uh, and should be a solid series. See, you know, fans always get out for opening day in Milwaukee. Uh, should be really solid to see everyone there. Uh, and, you know, I unfortunately won't be at this game, but um, maybe that is for the best. Looks like it's going to be a little chilly. Jelly high of 53 in Milwaukee, but... Uh, I know the rest of my family is going to be there, uh, and I know my uh, side from side from my sister and her boyfriend. They actually went to the Milwaukee game in Chicago yesterday, uh, so got to see a good win as well. And you know, as I mentioned, the rest of my family is headed to American Family Field, and I know that they get all their tickets on TickPick. Um, my parents got those tickets for um, my sister and her boyfriend uh, to the game yesterday as a Christmas gift. And they get on TickPick. And this is not an ad, but TickPick is a service that I love, and I want you to save money on your next ticket purchase. When you use TickPick, you will never pay service fees or delivery fees like you will on other ticket selling apps, and it comes with a best price guarantee. If you find a better price somewhere else for the ticket that you see on TickPick, TickPick will refund you twice the difference in credit toward your next purchase. Plus, if you use my link in the podcast description, you'll save $10 on your first order. So go ahead, go to TickPick, get out to opening day. You know, we got some good games coming up here in Milwaukee this week uh, between the Mets series. Then we're going to have a big early tilt against the Cardinals hosted in Milwaukee this uh, three-game series this weekend. So get out, get to those games. Uh, the Bucks home season finale is this week as well against the Grizzlies, so... Get out there, get some tickets, save some money. Use my link in the podcast description. Get $10 off your first order on TickPick. In, in moving from Milwaukee over to Madison, uh, Wisconsin football landed its next commitment in its 2024 recruiting class, and that is offensive tackle Derek Jensen. Now, you might not think offensive tackle is that exciting, but this kid should excite you. 
Uh, Derek Jensen took his third visit to uh, UW-Madison this weekend. He's a Heartland, Wisconsin native, plays uh, high school football at Arrowhead. And per rivals, he is the 19th ranked offensive tackle in the 2024 class in the nation. 19th ranked offensive tackle in the nation. Uh, he's a four-star, four-star recruit. He is six foot seven, 315 pounds is what he's listed, listed at. His high school coach said, you know, kind of following his commitment, mentioned that he's at 330 pounds. So he's bulked up some. Uh, so this is the fourth commitment in uh, Wisconsin's recruiting class for 2024. But offensive coordinator Phil Longo said on Twitter earlier today, shortly before this uh, verbal commitment came out by Jensen, that uh, Wisconsin has added two weapons that there will be announcements for this week. Two weapons being uh, Longo's wording there. So assuming it's going to be two players on the offensive side of the ball. So there should be another um, equipment announcement coming this week. Uh, Derek Jensen, you know, like I mentioned, six foot seven, 330 pounds. This, this is a big guy. This is your prototypical what you think of as big Wisconsin uh, offensive lineman. Uh, and that that is exciting to see. Uh, this new staff keeping these kids in state and we'll see what he can do when he gets on campus. Uh, there's obviously a lot of offensive line depth in front of him, but with he, he seems like a pretty raw talent. We'll need some technical work uh, on the offensive line in, in pass protection, but uh, he, he should be well suited to fit the mold of what Wisconsin would like him to do. Uh, and so, also on the football field, we had spring practice. Wisconsin had its fourth of 15 spring practices on uh, on Saturday. Sorry, uh, I recapped the first week from Wisconsin spring football practice for Badger Notes. Uh, I'll link that article in the podcast description with three big takeaways. Uh, but on Saturday was the fourth of 15 spring practices, kind of kicking off the second week. And most of the other practices uh, leading up to the first three have kind of been about defense, kind of looking at what the defense uh, all did. But this practice was far more about what was going on with the new look Wisconsin offense, you know, running that up-tempo air raid style, getting the ball in the hands of athletes and letting them be athletes, uh, as Phil Longo likes to say. Uh, and so there was some up-tempo up sets ran with full 11-on-11 practice, and that 40-second play clock uh, really never ticked below 30 seconds. Uh, balls Ball was being snapped at 30, 31, 32 throughout practice, and the coaching staff is trying to get everyone used to playing at that quick up-tempo pace as quickly as they can. Uh, I believe North Carolina which was Phil Longo's last stop as an offensive coordinator, ran the 15th most plays. I think 15, that number is correct. Uh, 15th most plays in the country last season. So they're going to get to the line. They're going to get up there quickly, and they're going to snap the ball. Uh, they're not going to give defenses a chance to adjust. They're going to go out and and take what looks right to them. So trying to get them used to it. Uh, CJ Williams, wide receiver transfer from USC, the highest ranked wide receiver uh, in the online recruiting's era to online recruiting rankings era to ever end up at Wisconsin uh, made some big plays on Saturday as well. He had a big day with a number of big catches uh, and it was enough to earn him some first team offense reps near the end of practice. So good to see CJ Williams that already knew he was an exciting athletic 
prospect with a ton of upside is making use of that upside early and impressing enough to where uh, he's getting some reps with uh, the first team offense. I think the the downside that we saw in uh, spring practice on Saturday is that this running back room uh, is littered with injuries right now. Uh, Braylon Allen suffered a lower body injury on Tuesday, and that lower body injury is something that seems to nag Braylon Allen fairly often, uh, and I think ultimately will hurt his NFL draft stock. Uh, Jackson Aker, who I believe is going to end up as the third string running back in this offense, you know, barring him being held out because of injury or other things, um, he suffered an apparent arm injury on Thursday. And then Ches Malusi and Julius Davis, Ches Malusi obviously being the, the backup behind Braylon Allen, the one-two punch, whatever you want to call it, and, and Julius Davis, they left practice on Saturday with injuries of their own. Uh, so that left redshirt freshman Cade Iacomelli as the only scholarship running back available at the end of practice. So there were a couple of walk-on running backs that were getting some you know, solid reps. <laughs> um, uh, at the end of that Saturday practice there. Uh, but Katie Iacomelli, you know, it was exciting to see him run. He looked looked good. Uh, Luke Fickle spoke very positively about him at the end of practice. He's an impressive talent, and him getting first-team reps is good for him to see what he might be after uh, Brillin Allen and Ches Malusi depart after this upcoming season. Uh, moving from the... Uh, McLean Center, where Wisconsin football practices, over to the Cole Center in Madison. We have some rumblings, some potential Wisconsin basketball transfer portal news coming up, and not outgoing players. This time we're talking ingoing player uh, coming into Wisconsin basketball. Uh, this was this is via some really great reporting by my good friend Dylan Graff over at Badger Notes. Uh, Wisconsin reach out to Noah Reynolds, who is a combo guard transfer from the University of Wyoming. He's actually an Illinois native. Uh, he's six foot three and last year averaged 14 and a half points, 2.2 rebounds, and 2.1 assists, uh, but sat out much of last season after suffering his third concussion in six months. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, concern there uh, from an availability standpoint, and that being, uh, of course, the most important ability as many like to say. Um, but later, beyond the fact that Wisconsin reached out to Noah Reynolds, uh, Dylan, who I mentioned, had this initial uh, report uh, that, I, that I mentioned, knowing that Wisconsin did reach out to him, Dylan later noticed that Noah Reynolds scrubbed his Instagram of everything, including all of his affiliation with uh, the Wyoming Cowboys basketball team, and he then followed all of the players on Wisconsin's roster on Instagram. So we could have a little bit of something brewing over here. Uh, I, I don't nobody nobody is reporting that he is on his way to a commitment. Uh, but it is curious. We got, you know, solid reporting that he was contacted by uh, Wisconsin, Noah Reynolds was, and then subsequently followed everybody uh from the Wisconsin basketball team on Instagram so we'll see how that goes uh of course for those who don't know as well that's kind of a, a big deal for the for uh the young ones it, it's can often be a leaning in, indicator of what's to come um and so let's wrap this one up here uh following some of this speculation you know it was a solid weekend in Wisconsin sports uh 
big Bucks win, big uh, two big Brewers wins, some solid Wisconsin football, Wisconsin basketball, recruiting news. Um, and I got to start off that weekend myself, uh, topping off the six-pack here with my trip to Mullet Arena to see the Arizona Coyotes host the Dallas Stars. I kind of mentioned this on the Thursday pod that I was headed to this. You know, that that's why we didn't have a Friday pod because I, or your Saturday weekend preview pod, I should say, that I would record on Friday nights uh, because I was on my way back from uh, Tempe, from Tempe from Mullet Arena over there at Arizona State's campus. And Mullet Arena, I gotta say, this Arizona Coyotes home experience in a 5,000 seat ice arena is so unique. It is so interesting. It is so fun. I was enamored with it. And, you know, it is absolutely not the most outstanding facility in the world. Uh, it's It's small. And aside from like the 5,000 seats being maybe a little bit bigger. Um, it just felt like a hometown rake, hometown mark. And I bet you that's really what it seems like if you go to you know, someplace like Minnesota. Uh, and that's about as big as some of those hometown barns are going to be. So it, it was it was really interesting. It definitely feels like a, a hometown rink just in comparison to uh, full-on arenas like you know, we have United Center, the XL Energy Center, uh, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, uh, what have you. But it's it's really unique. Um, there's just some really small like team store basically just out on, I, I can't even call it the concourse. It's just out kind of in like a hallway. Like I said, it just feels like a hometown rink. There's not, there's one, two concession stands out there. There's the longer concourse. Um, actually inside the rink goes like around the rink itself and you um can be in the line for concessions and still see the entire game going on because you're just you know 10 feet off of the last row in the stadium it's all right there um but yeah it's it's very unique you know there's no upper deck the upper deck is like a few suites if you can call them that uh, but very small overall. And I think this, the worst part about it is that Arizona can't fill, can't fill this 5,000 seat arena because it would be, or at least it wasn't filled when I was there. Uh, I, I don't have a look at their attendance stats, but I assume with where the Coyotes are in the standings, they're not that good this year. Sorry. Um, it's okay. The Blackhawks are worse, but, um, you know, take for Bedard. Um, but Arizona didn't fill it. It was, I don't know, maybe two-thirds full. There were a lot of empty seats. And I would love to see what that place is like when the Coyotes are good or when the Oats are in the playoffs. And I get that down here in Phoenix in the winter, especially, you, you have a lot of people who are out-of-towners. Uh, and it's not necessarily conducive to growing a fan base for a team in the desert for a winter sport with a bunch of people who end up being here for part of the year and have their make their full-time residency elsewhere it's it's tough uh and i think the nhl and the coyotes have had a tough go of it basically the entire time the coyotes have been a franchise 
uh, to do that. Uh, I sat next to a, a couple from Alberta, from Canada, when I was at uh, the Brewers Spring Training Finale last week here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they said that they went to a Coyotes Oilers game earlier in that week as well. And it was like an overwhelming Oilers friendly crowd. Uh, and I think that was one, not surprising because it's the Oilers and they travel really well. And I'm sure it's a lot nicer here in uh, the Phoenix area than it is in Edmonton right now. But uh, there was also a bit of that in the my experience seeing uh, the Coyotes Stars game as well. Felt like a really big contingent of Dallas Stars fans. Uh, you had quite the loud you know, when the when the national anthem singer sings the Star Spangled Banner, um, and you get the like. Uh, I'm blanking on being able to sing the national anthem. I'm trying to like not sing the national anthem. I'm trying to say the words of the national anthem. Uh, <laughs> so it's making me uh, really struggle here uh, overall. But when you get to the Star Spangled Banner and you get to like the second little strand of the song, it goes, whose broad stripes and bright stars. When you go to a Dallas Stars home game, they go, Who's broad stripes, stripes and bright, and then everybody in the crowd shouts, "Stars!" And there was very loud stars <laughs> during the national anthem, even though it was an away game for Dallas. So I thought it was, you know, an interesting experience overall. I, I was really just fascinated by it. There's no other experience like it in uh, pro American sports right now. I think one of the very cool things is that because of the way the NHL visiting team facilities had to be like built on while Mullet Arena was basically finished with construction already, the visiting team kind of walks out in like a basically open area onto the ice where if you are on like the concourse, you are basically five feet away from players walking down uh, and then eventually ending up on the ice is very cool. Like I found myself five feet away from Joe Pabelski and screaming on Wisconsin at him because uh, I'm a nutcase. But that that's cool. Uh, I, I would recommend anybody who is like a hockey fan who is a just sports fan who likes these kind of unique things, make the trip uh, it, because the Coyotes aren't going to play there forever. And it is a cool one to chop off the list while you can. Uh, I, I would absolutely recommend it. So that is all for today's edition of the Scotted Six Pack. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to start every day with everything you need to know in Wisconsin sports. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Kedrick Stubberus on Wisconsin.